0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. It's good to be with you all today. I bring you greetings from your university just up the road. And uh, it's been a real uh, pleasure to be here in the upstate. My daughter asked my wife the other day, where's your favorite place you've ever lived? And we've lived all over the southeast and uh, moved here from West Palm Beach, Florida. We were living in the Jupiter community and my wife said, Uh, I've already decided this is my favorite place I've ever lived, and she said, 31 waterfalls within an hour of campus, Greenville, Greer, Hendersonville, it's a lot of wonderful things in the area, and uh, we just have really grown to love the people, and especially have grown to love the institution, and uh, of course we have a lot of North Greenville graduates and connections here with this uh, church, but uh, it's been a joy as well to get to uh, be in churches. I think this is my 17th church to preach in since June 1st, something like that. And I've really enjoyed getting to know the uh, people of South Carolina. My family's originally from the Pendleton area uh, over here in Anderson County, although my branch of the family left in about 1850, so I don't know anybody there anymore. Um, they it seems to have uh, transitioned, but there still is a Fance Grove Church uh, that's there in the Pendleton community. I went and got my picture made in front of it the other day because uh, it's on the uh, the ancestral uh, land and all, but we've really enjoyed getting to be here. Uh, I will tell you this. The, the pastor mentioned that I'm from Mississippi originally, and when I say I'm from Mississippi, I mean, look, like, I, I talk like that. That's my more natural accent, but when uh, I was a kid, my dad got called to be a church planner. Uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention. He went up to an area near Buffalo, New York, and he started nine churches in seven years. Uh, we were so hardcore Baptist. We had a baptistry in the garage, y'all. Uh, people thought we were a cult. We had church in the living room. I made my profession of faith in the living room of our house church. Uh, we would move all the furniture out on Saturday nights and set up the uh, folding chairs for the service. I made my profession of faith in the aisle in the living room. And uh, after I made my profession of faith, the church donated the baptistry to us, and we put it in the garage. And uh, this is, again, this is kind of one of the funny things about growing up in a house church. Uh, When we were going to baptize people, we would march out of the living room and stand in the driveway, and they would lift the garage door, and we would baptize, baptize people in the garage. The neighbors thought we were a cult. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. They thought we were just nuts. We all had crew cuts in about 1968, and uh, which you were not supposed to have when you lived up north because of the weather, actually. Um, but the other thing that I'll mention to you is that they put me in speech therapy when I started school because they didn't like my accent. So that's why I don't talk like that no more. Although when I go back to Mississippi, I still do. And um, my, my mom was just horrified that her children would not have a southern accent. Uh, my mom was Miss Pine Belt, Mississippi, 1958, and I shouldn't give you the date on that, but that's okay. Uh, So it is my joy to be with you here today, and uh, I, I will tell you this as well. Uh, when you do supply work like I do, when you preach at so many different churches and different places, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in the church. Sometimes the pastor will, will say, I need you to preach on a particular passage. Uh, I had that happen a couple of weeks ago, and so I prepared that passage. But a lot of times it's really just a function of me um, in, in my prayers and in my preparation time uh, just trying to be sensitive to the role of the Holy Spirit in laying a message on my heart and a passage on my heart and uh, I'll tell you all that when I started praying about what passage am I supposed to share, uh, this passage in 1 Peter 5 was immediately the one that came to me. And so I really am convinced that there's somebody here today, maybe several of you here today, who need to hear this message because uh, sometimes it's more, a little bit more functional. It's like, okay, well, I can do this and that'll work. Um, but for some reason, this passage just really came to me today for you all. And so uh, let me go to First Peter chapter 5 and I'm going to start in verse 6. We're only going to do two verses. I like to go uh, expositorily, just a couple of uh, clauses down here in, in verses 10 and 11. But I'm going to start with verse 6 because uh, it does give us the context for what's going on here with this letter from Peter to the church. So First uh, Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be sober of mind, and or spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, how grateful we are to know that you are the God of grace. You are not the God who tells us we must earn our salvation. We serve a God who has personally called each and every one of us, who has personally taken on punishment and suffering for each and every one of us. And so, God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to be encouraged by your faithfulness, encouraged by the plan that you have offered up to us so that we can enjoy fellowship and relationship with you for all of eternity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning I got up and I was I was getting everything together and I got in the car. Uh, I, I learned because I lived in Buffalo for a while. I learned you always park your car facing the east so that when the sun comes up and there's snow, you won't have to clear your windshield. And so uh, I looked out the kitchen window and saw good. My windshield's clear and all that. And uh, so as I was getting everything and got in the car and, and started backing up. And I, I thought it was foggy outside, but then I realized it was actually my glasses, that I had not cleaned my glasses in several days. And I'm really lazy. I'm so lazy, I won't even clear my glasses sometimes. Uh, but I was, I was starting to realize it was, it was impairing me a little bit this morning. And so I took off my glasses, and I started to clear them out, and I put them back on, and I looked in the, in the mirror, and I was like, wow, it's amazing what a difference that makes. And really, this is a, kind of a metaphor, I think, for the way that we need to view the Scriptures with Christ. Uh, I don't know that 1 Peter 5 is a go-to sermon for the Christmas season uh, because there's nothing in here about the baby Jesus. We've got suffering in here. We've got the devil roaring like a lion, and that doesn't feel like Christmas. Whole, not a whole lot of devil roaring lion ornaments on trees, I don't think. Uh, Not a whole lot of suffering ornaments on trees, but really these things are at the heart of the gospel. And so as I was uh, praying about this and all, and I was looking back at my glasses, I was thinking, really, Christ is the lens that we need to use to look at Scripture all the time. It's the cleanest lens that we have to look at the Scriptures, but it's also the cleanest lens that we have to understand the world in which we live. My family's been going through a really strange, strange season lately, and it's been a season of death. Just since I came to North Greenville in June, my mom's sister has died, my dad's brother has died, my dad's brother's son, my cousin, has died, my wife's step-grandfather has died, my brother's wife's dad has died, my brother's wife's mother has died, and I'm, I'm missing one in there somewhere. I mean, we've just had Deaths like crazy. Now, most of these folks have been in their 80s, and so you expect it. One of them actually in their or two of them in their 90s. And so you expect it, but we're going into the Christmas season now, realizing that there are going to be empty chairs around the places at Christmas. And those of you who have had a death around Christmas, you know that this is one of the hard things about Christmas. You start looking at it and you're like, it's not going to be the same this year. In fact, a friend of mine who lost his um, his father-in-law said that they ended up moving Thanksgiving to another state just because they knew that having that empty chair and that empty spot was going to be a bad thing. It was going to be uh, something that would really depress them. Uh, had other friends that were being diagnosed with cancer recently. I've had another friend whose daughter's been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, had other friend whose. They've got a kid in the hospital, and the the doctors can't figure out what it is. I have other friends who've lost their jobs this time of year and are starting to figure, they're they're just wrestling, you know, what is it, God? We're going into Christmas. What a terrible time to not have a job and and so forth. And we begin to see that when we start looking around the world, what we find is that there are suffering things that happen all the time. And a lot of times we want to figure out, well, maybe at Christmas we can get a relief from it, but we really don't. Because Christmas is a time when, in some ways, we end up highlighting these things in our lives. And so, when I was thinking about this passage and I was praying over this passage, I got down to verse 10, and uh, this really stuck out at me. And I want to dwell on this, the idea of suffering for just a little bit. Uh, and so, in verse 10, it talks about after you, after you have suffered for a little while, and that phrase, a little while, is a great comfort. And I want to talk to you about one of the differences between Christianity and a lot of other religions Uh, as I've studied world religions, one of the things you find in a lot of world religions is that they will say that suffering and pain are actually an illusion, that if you can just learn to overcome the illusion, then you will put pain and suffering behind you. And they try to minimize it. But I'm here to tell you one of the great truths of the Christian faith is that we understand that suffering, pain, hardship, all of those are realities, and they are realities that are rooted in the fallenness of this world. And because they're rooted in the fallenness of this world, what that means is that God himself has prepared a way to overcome all of this pain and all of this suffering. Let me give you an example Uh, As uh, I teach a course in world literature sometimes, uh, one of the passages that we often read is one that comes from India, and it's a book called the Ramayana. Uh, The Ramayana is the most important piece of literature that's come out of India. Uh, There are tons of movie adaptations about it and so forth. But in the Ramayana, what happens is that one of the gods of Hinduism, a god named Vishnu, comes and is born as a man, and he's here to teach us how to suffer. Does does that sound vaguely familiar? No, no. I'm going to make sure you understand the difference between that and Christ in a moment. But this God, Vishnu, comes to teach everyone that suffering is important and that suffering is really an illusion and you can just look beyond it and so forth. And uh, I was reading an interview one time with Bono, the singer for U2. Y'all ever, y'all ever heard of Bono? Okay, yeah, probably. Uh, so reading a really interesting interview with Bono. Bono's a Christian, and uh, even though I, uh, he drives me crazy sometimes, he is a, a believer. And he was talking about the difference between grace and karma. And he said the difference between grace and karma is that in karma, in Hinduism, you are the one that has to figure out how to do everything. It's on you. But a difference in Christ is that Christ has taken care of everything for us. And let me illustrate that. I was on a plane one time and was sitting next to this gentleman who happened to be from India. And we struck up a conversation, and uh, I think he was a physician. And uh, so we we were talking about his work, and he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a literature professor. And he said, oh, literature professor? You're one of those doctors who can't help anybody, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, And uh, so we were talking about things, and I said, by the way, one of the, the books that I teach is the Ramayana. And he just said, what? He said, I've never met an American who's read the Ramayana. And I said, actually, I I teach it almost every semester. And he said, you know, Rama and Vishnu are just like Jesus. And I said, oh, in what way? And he said, well, Vishnu came to teach us that suffering redeems us and that the more we suffer, the farther we will advance in our next lifetime." And I said, yes, I I know that interpretation. In fact, I understand that the reincarnation concept in Hinduism is actually a curse and that what we have to do is pay off the curse in each of our lifetimes through our own pain and suffering. And he said, that is right. And he said, that's why I'm where I am now, because in past lives, I led good lives. And now I've been rewarded in this life by having affluence and influence. And I said, well, that's an interesting interpretation. I said, but let me tell you what I believe. What I believe is that Jesus came not to teach us that suffering is redemptive, but so that all of the suffering and the punishment for it is on him, so that I don't have to be the one on it. It's not on my back. It's on his back. And because of that, I don't have to live out a curse in another life. I have eternal life because of that. And so when I read this passage and I see this about that we are going to suffer, it's not just that we are suffering, it's that we're suffering for a little while. And it's not that the suffering is minimized, it's that we understand that our perspective is an eternal perspective. The perspective that we have is the one that has changed everything because of what happened in not the cradle, but what happened on that cross and then in that empty tomb. Because I study history and I'm an academic, one of the things I deal with a lot is the difference between BC and AD. In fact, now in culture, they don't want to talk about before Christ and Anno Domini, which is uh, after death, after Christ. Uh, now they use new phrases, which is BCE. You ever heard of this? BCE and CE. So BCE is before the common era, which starts in the year zero. CE is the common era, which starts in uh, the year zero. And I'm like, I'm like, y'all just playing games. It's still the year zero, right? Uh, and I want for you to imagine for a moment, if you were an alien and uh, or you were with an alien who came to earth and the alien's looking at history and he says, What's what's going on with this BC shifting to AD or this BCE shifting to... CE and all that. What, What happened there? And what happened there was that a baby came, right? And do you understand how the birth of that child changed everything? Cosmically, historically, redemptively, everything changes in that, and it changes not because of the birth of the child, but because of what ends up happening through that child. And so when we see here that we will suffer for a little while, that is not the end. There's not a period after that little while right there, at least in my translation. Some of the translations move these clauses and these phrases around. But in this one, which is a um, a New American Standard, it starts with this one. And that's not where the end of it. In fact, I've got a little comma there, and then it moves on to the next thing. And the next phrase after suffering is this, the God of all grace. And what's grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us, so that it's not about how good we are, it's not about who we know, it's not about how much money we make, it's about what Christ has done for us on the throne, on the, on the cross, and now on the throne. And, and so when we have suffering, what we have to understand is that God is going to redeem that suffering. I've, I've had things that have happened in my life. My kids have watched me go through some things in my life, and they've listened to what I've said, and now they have had, and I kept saying, y'all, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I promise you, it's going to be okay. God is going to find a way to redeem all of this. And then once we began to see God working his way through it, my kids are like, hey, that's, that's pretty cool, Dad. Is that the way God works? And I said, this is the way God always works. He is in the redemption business because he loves us So much. And so look at that next little clause there. It's not just that he's the God of all grace, but he's the God of all grace who calls us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And I want to talk about that word that's there. Uh, calling just a little bit. The phrase that's there is one that is a personal calling. It's not just that he calls you, but it's more like a personal phone call kind of call. He has called it. It's an individual conversation between you and God, that God has called you and set things up personally so that you can experience a relationship with him as one of his followers. And so when we think about this, we do not serve a distant God who's a blind watchmaker, who's just set up the universe and doesn't really care about it. We have a God who, especially in prayer, we can have a one-on-one conversation with. You understand how different this is from the way that most people in the world view? Most people, you know, the gods are up here, or the gods are against us, or there's all these other things, but that's not the way that it is with our God. Our God has been renamed through Christ Emmanuel. And you know what Emmanuel means? In the Hebrew, it means God is with us. And so when Christ came and was born, he takes on the human flesh and he is fully man, but he is still fully God. And when he is walking with the disciples, not only is Christ walking with them as man to man, he's walking with them as God in flesh, relating to them and understanding things. And the other thing that is absolutely cool is what we get in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tested in every way, and yet he is without sin. And what we get in that concept is that we have a God who's not just going, well, I'm God and you people are on your own. What we have is a God who has swept out of heaven to rescue us and to relate to each and every one of us personally. Uh, Yesterday we gave an honorary doctorate to a lady who has an amazing story. Uh, Her pastor challenged her to read through her Bible every day, to to read a couple of verses in her Bible. And so she said she started off reading two verses a day, and then she decided to quadruple it and go to eight verses a day. And then she decided she needed to read her Bible with all of her free time. She actually stopped watching TV so she could start reading the Bible. And now she has read her Bible cover to cover 340-something times, y'all. 340 something times. So we recognized her. After the service was over, we had somebody else walk up with an elderly lady and say, by the way, this lady's read it over 600 times. Now, does that shame anybody? Because I think about the Bible every day. I read it most every day, but I'm not reading through it on a pace to get to 340 times by the time I'm 80 something years old. But it's God's love letter to each and every one of us. Do you pray every day? Do you pray at different times in the day? Do you pray over things that are big, pray over things that are small? Do you have an ongoing conversation, praying without ceasing uh, with God? Well, if not, then why not? It's because we have a God who has called us, and not just called us to have relationship, but to share in His eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And so when we realize that we have a God who understands suffering because He has suffered, He understands temptation because He has been tempted, but the difference is in His suffering and His death, He comes out on the other side and He is resurrected to show His power and His glory. The difference is on His side, He is able to show us that temptation is able to be achieved, able to be avoided through His power, not through our own power. And that takes us to the next little thing here. Look at what he's done. He's called us to his eternal glory in Christ. But he himself, and look at these verbs, he will perfect us, he will confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us. Right now I have a lot of really tired students. They've just finished exams. A lot of them haven't slept for a week. Uh, Yesterday when I was handing out diplomas, I would say, you going home and sleeping? I'd say, congratulations, time to sleep. And they would say, yes, yes, yes. And so uh, we have seasons in our lives where we're really tired, we're really worn out and all. But here's the glory of all this stuff. God himself will work to confirm, strengthen, establish, establish, and all that stuff then leads to the perfection that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I know who is perfect. Perfect. I'm not always strong, but I know who is always strong. I don't know how to establish and make things, but I work with the God who absolutely does know how to do all of these things. And so what I'll tell you is in this season of distraction, in this season of tiredness, in this season of reflecting on the previous year and maybe being discouraged by that, Cling to the God who is the God of grace, the God who has walked with you even when you don't understand that he's walked with you, the God who has strengthened you. You think you're tired? Imagine how tired you would be if God were not even strengthening you in the moments that you feel like you are tired of. Because here's the ultimate glory. Look at verse 11. We are with a God who has dominion forever and ever. I want to read for you Psalm 118. So you may want to flip on over there. Uh, As I was going through this passage, I I thought about all of the refrain that happens here uh, with the eternality, with God's goodness and everything, and listen to the words of Psalm 118 and this refrain about God's loving kindness. "'Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting.'" Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. From my suffering, I called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction to those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes." All the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. And in the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a thorn of fires, a fire of thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You punished me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And I will not die, but live and tell the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation See if you recognize this passage. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is a prophecy of Christ. And this is the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous thing in our eyes. And this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light, another prophecy of Christ. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So as we end first Peter five, we are reminded here that his dominion, his power, his glory, his kingdom is forever and ever. And it's a reminder that if it's forever and ever, then it has been forever and ever. And let me explain what I mean by that. My granddad was a preacher, buddy, he was a country preacher. Like you have never seen. One time he decided to preach on hell and he kept a pistol in his pocket and he pulled out the pistol. And he started pointing it at people and saying, what if I were a madman and I shot you? What if I were a madman? And, of course, nowadays that's horrible given everything that's happened in the news. But, buddy, it was an effective sermon on um, the challenge of life and everything. He would bring cats into the service, and he did all kinds of things. But uh, I had the great pleasure, the last about five years of his life, I lived near my grandfather. I'd lived away from him uh, all the rest of my life because my dad had been pastoring all over the place. but ended up moving back to Mississippi for a few years there. And uh, a lot of times, Grandfather and I, while we were driving, we would, we would have some spiritual conversations. I was seeking his wisdom uh, because he was an incredibly wise man, and uh, I, I said, what's one of the things you've learned about God, uh, Grandfather, that I need to know? And uh, that tells you a lot about him. We called him Grandfather. It was not Pops. It wasn't Papa. It was <clears throat> Grandfather. He was a little like the Pope or something, you know? He had a title, Grandfather, you know? And so uh, Granddad, Grandfather said... Uh, One of the things you've got to understand about the Christian life and the thing you've got to understand about God is everybody wants to talk about the future and they want to talk about heaven. He said, but what I have found is that if you're walking through life and all you do is focus on heaven, he said, what's going to happen is at some point you're going to get knocked off your feet because you're focusing on that and the reality of where you are right now, whether it's illness or it's. Uh, a challenge in your career or it's a death. He said, at some point, if you're too focused on the future, you're going to get knocked off kilter. And he said, I've watched people end up walking away from the church. He said, what I've learned in my life instead is that the way that we need to walk through our lives is like this. He said, I walk through my life backwards. And he said, this is why I walk through my life backwards. He said, I know that I had an illness here and that God was faithful to me. He was abandoned by his parents when he was eight years old, y'all. His parents met him after uh, third or fourth grade. They met him after school one day and said, we're getting a divorce. Neither of us can take care of you. We've arranged for you to rent a room on your own at the general store. We've arranged for two jobs for you after school. Hope you have a nice life. (laughs) So he lived, he had his own apartment, y'all, when he was eight years old. I mean, it's it's just hard. But he says, and he was not a Christian then, He said, in hindsight, I see how God was faithful to me then. And he said then he had a crisis when he was 11, and he decided he was going to kill himself. And God worked a miracle in him trying to kill himself, and that was when he began the path to becoming a Christian. And then he went through this, and he had this crisis, and he said, as I walk through my life and I see how God aligned the challenges that I had with my family, the challenges that I had with my own thoughts, the challenges that I had with the churches that I've pastored, the challenges. He said, What I found is that God has been faithful in each and every one of those things. And when I begin to consider my life in light of all of history, what I realize is that He's not just been faithful to me in each and every one of those moments, He's been faithful to us as humankind in all of these other places. He said, I begin to understand that faith is a backward-looking thing because just as God has been faithful, look at Psalm 23, it's a parable, it's it's not a parable, it's it's a memoir of David's life of all the ways that God has been faithful to him through a giant and lions and tigers and bears and oh my, Uh, that was a little joke there for Shirley Temple, some of you all want to get that, Um, you need to get out more if you don't know Shirley Temple, what's that, a hundred years ago or something? But grandfather said, the more that I see my life in the woof and weave and fabric of God's faithfulness to all of humanity, then in this moment when I face what is happening right here, if I've got a challenge now, I know that it's in the context of everything else that's happened. He said, that means then I face the future with confidence because I know what's behind me is this incredible cloud of witnesses of God's faithfulness to each and every one of us." let me share with you something that'll shock you. I don't believe in the um, virgin birth. Let me let that ring for a second. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Had a professor one time who challenged us on this. He said, do you believe that the birth of Christ was a miracle? And of course, we were all saying, of course, you know, he said, no, we're like, Heretic! I've heard about you people in seminary. He said, no, 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 the birth happened the same way all the other births of history have happened. He said it was a miraculous conception, not a miraculous birth. Now, I I could go talk about some pro-life things on that, okay? But he said, "Let, let me make sure that you all are understanding this in the context of all of history. God had a plan to change history through a miracle of conception, and that that conception was planned from the foundations of the earth. In fact, if you go through and you start reading, like Revelation 17, 8 talks about the Lamb's book of life, that all of us who are followers of God have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, right? If you look at that passage, when was that book written? Before the foundations of the earth. God in his foreknowledge knew you before Adam and Eve were ever on this planet. Which means that the plan of salvation, that miraculous conception, was God's plan for all of eternity. And so when we look back and we're in a moment of pain and suffering, we see that that pain and suffering is not a surprise to God because God has already sent his own son to suffer for each and every one of us. Because he's loved you since the foundations of the earth. He's known your name since the foundations of the earth. And what that means then is that in this season, when we have loss, know this, God loves you. When you have pain and you have challenges and you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life, God loves you. When, When you are sitting there and everything's going great and maybe nothing's going bad, it's important to be humble again and know that God still loves you then as well. I had a friend that everything was going great, and I, I said, why aren't you going to church anymore? And she said, things are going pretty good. What do I need Jesus for? <laughs> Let me step away from you there, uh, you know? I mean, look at back at verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, right? That's, that's when things are good, you need to be humbled as well. And so, This is the last thing that I want to tell you all, and this is this. God's love for you has been here for all of eternity. And when that baby was placed in that cradle, when that baby was in that manger, in that cave, in that stable, that baby symbolized something that was about to come. And what that baby was symbolizing was the suffering that was coming, the death that was coming, the resurrection that was coming because of the love that always has been. And so as you come into this season, this Christmas season, the Advent season, when we are all considering God's love and we're considering the beauty of the baby and all that, never forget that out of that cradle rose a cross. It's not just the miracle of a baby that was born. It's a conception that led to a resurrection that led to the ultimate offer of salvation for each and every one of you. So as you're shopping this year, don't forget that there's another gift that's already been given. As you're preparing for meals and fellowship, don't forget that there's a larger fellowship that each and every one of you needs to be aware of as well. And if you're in a season where you're struggling with suffering, you're struggling with pain, you're struggling with the news that's come, don't forget that there is a Savior who's already been tempted, tested, and suffered all for you. Let's pray. God, how grateful we are for your word that reminds us uh, that you love us and that you have loved us and that you call each and every one of us. You call after us to serve you, to respond to you, and to understand that your grace, the grace of God, is so great that it can sustain us no matter what. Because in this life... We know that we're going to have things that aren't good because of the fall. But, God, you have redeemed that because you are in the redemption business. And so, God, help us not to be the people who try to take this all on ourselves, to put it, on all, our, put it all on our backs, but to understand that it's already been on your back. It's already been across your shoulders, and you've already defeated death. You've defeated sin. You've defeated the grave. And that in this Christmas season... We celebrate the hope and the promise of the resurrection and we always are an Easter people. So God, as we have a time of commitment today, God, I just pray that you will um, bless our thoughts, bless our hearts, bless our feet as we seek to respond to you. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Brother Scott. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.